Hello, and welcome to episode 131 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, January 4th, 2024. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Happy New Year. Yay, we made it. How are you? We're in the future. I like 2024. It's a a nice number. It is a nice number. We have a lot of big things happening this year in our lives. It's going to be great. Buckle your seatbelt. Knock on wood. Yes. We have seniors in high school if you're new here. So, yeah, which means we're graduating them and then taking them to college. And there are babies. Yeah. So that means we'll be free and easy. That's right. That's how I'm, I'm... We'll be hosting dinner parties. Exactly. And traveling and... Traveling on random days that do not coincide with the school vacations. Right. We'll have so much less dishes and laundry until they come home. And then we will be inundated with dishes and laundry. Exactly. And it will be wonderful. <laughs> totally. And this episode's going to be wonderful. And probably a little long... Because it's been a month, because we took our little Christmas vacation, as we'd like to do. So we will have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand. And there will be some yearly wrap-up bits stuck in there, and uh, some goal reviews and setting. What did I call them last year? They weren't goals. No, they were they're like... not goals. Ideas? Yeah. I think they're ideas. I've let go Hopes of hard and dreams. And, yeah, I've let go of hard and fast things because when I fail at them, that doesn't feel very good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently I have already let go of being upset about things because as you will hear, some of my goals did not get accomplished, but I'm okay with that. Mine changed. So I'm excited to talk about it. That's true. All right. So on the needles. Yeah. Christmas knitting people. (laughs) Things took a dramatic sideways turn in my knitting life, but it was super fun. I've had a great month. I did actually get a little bit of work done on my Rome shawl, which was exciting. I know. Well, I finished up some Christmas knitting. I didn't have things wound up. I needed some mindless knitting to work on. So I pulled that out and got, I don't know, maybe three or four. Well, I guess six. So like four back and forth rows done. And they're pretty long rows at this point. So this is a pattern by Don Barker. The yarn is from Rainbow Peak Yarns in Luminosity 2, which is an exclusive colorway for Lula Fay Fibers in Boulder, Colorado. It's super fun. It is the assigned pooling pattern or one of the many that Don Barker has done where it's a solid color and then part of the yarn is in multicolor and you knit until you get to the multicolor part. And then you do a special stitch. And then once the color goes away, you stop and go back to doing stockinette. And it's delightful. It's super fun. And in this case, it is a shawl. It is a two skein shawl. So it's going to end up being pretty big. I am on to the second skein. I think that happened last time. Not very much more far into the second skein than I was before. But nonetheless, I am there. And I will be traveling in the next few weeks. So I think that is going to be what I am going to take. I have to figure that out. Travel knitting is always very pressure filled i feel travel art is pressure filled as well yeah i need to not get any work at all done on my ilha sweater by orlane sucha i am hoping to finish that before i leave so that should be back in rotation very soon but as i said i had all this christmas knitting to do because despite the fact that one of my usual sort of 
goals for the year is to plan out Christmas knitting beforehand and get things done. It never happens. I get inspired on December 1st and decide to knit all of the things and drive myself crazy every year. But that's just how it is. And I like knitting Christmas things at Christmas time. I don't want to be knitting them in July, for example, usually. Anyway, I finished my Christmas socks, which was very exciting. Okay, to be fair, those were a few days after Christmas, but it's still the season. I'm glad to have them done off the needles. The pattern is Vanilla is the New Black by Anna Fletcher. If you've been listening, you have heard me mention these one, two, eleven times. I think this was my 11th pair of this sock. The yarn is from Lollipop Yarn. The colorway is We Need a Little Christmas. I started them last year, last Christmas, 2022. It was funny. I have realized I have two pictures, one from last year, one from this year. (laughs) Both of them are board night pictures. Board game night with the family. That was how I knew that I had actually, when I had started them. And you guys played Wingspan? We played Wingspan. I'm so proud. So fun. It's a really fun game. You should check it out. So I finished those socks. They are gray, white, and red and green striped. Very fun and festive. And I like them a lot. I also made a pair of socks for my sister. I think I mentioned these last time. The Gingerbread House Socks by Helen Stewart. These are from her knit vent this past season um, where she does a bunch of I think it's six or seven patterns that are quick gift knits and one that is for using up your your countdown mini skeins so these are DK socks so very cozy also knit up pretty quickly the yarn she used was this really cool kind of light tan color but with blips of blue and pink so very sweet candy like and then it came with two mini skeins in that same blue and the same pink. And so you could use it for the cuffs and the toes, which I did. And then there's a cute little design detail uh, at the top that looks like a gingerbread house. So adorable. And it was really funny because I talked about it on our last episode. And I felt okay. I don't think I said who it was for, which was good because my sister who listens to my podcast apparently once or twice a year that was one of the episodes she (laughs) listened to so when she opened it she was pretty excited because she had heard about the socks and she seemed she seemed excited about the gift the yarn is from nnk hand dyed yarns and the colorway is called gingerbread house and it was the one used in the sample and it was just so beautiful that i really wanted to make it with that particular yarn it came from australia so it was definitely a Yeah, one of those things I just wanted to do, and so I did it. But it was a really fun pattern, super easy, really cute. And I am glad that I was able to make those, and I did not take a cute photo, unfortunately. There is a bad photo on my Ravelry page, so you can see what they look like. Maybe she can... I asked her to do one. We will see what happened. Okay. Maybe when the kids go back to school and she has some free time. I also made a whole bunch of gnomes. I forget what a gnome is called, what a group of gnomes is called. Sarah, the pattern designer, has a name for them, and I can't remember what it is. So anyway, so I started off making gift gnomes, one for my aunt, one for my mom. The past four years, I have done sports-themed gnomes for my aunt, but I ran out of teams, because there's, or I guess I could have made some other ones, but I did our San Francisco, the big four teams, and so then I was out of them. And so I made twin gnomes for my mom and my aunt. And I used the Make No Mistake pattern by Sarah Shira, also known as Imagined Landscapes. I changed the 
hat pattern. This one came with some color work on the hat and it had a little mushroom on it, which was very cute and very uh-huh. adorable. But I changed it to be a Christmas tree because it's okay. a Christmas gnome. Is that fair? Fair. Yeah. And this one has a really cute two-color beard that you can also put beads on, which I did. So he was sparkly and had a Christmas tree. It was just delightful. And I used mm, some leftover yarn. I did have to order some red yarn because I didn't... I had to. I didn't have red yarn that I had enough of that I loved that worked what I felt would be in a perfect manner. So I used... I had some Cascade Yarns Heritage Sock in Snow was my white that I've had for a while. I had some of my leftover Porter Wool Company in Huntress from my Dark Academia sweater. And then I ordered the red yarn from Knit Picks in the colorway Hollyberry, which how could that not be a good Christmas red? So those are very cute. I was very pleased with those. I was making them up until I think December 23rd. <laughs> so it was a little close, but it worked. So then, even though I had plans to do her Advent Gnome this year, which was called Snow Matter What, I did not. I was completely thrown by the the suggestion to have one of the colors be orange type yarn. And I could not, I, my brain just couldn't handle it. So what I decided to do instead was just wait till the end. I looked at all the, the photos that people posted as we were going along. So I got to see the bits and pieces and then how they transformed into a gnome and a snowman. It was the snowman people. Aww. Two little characters, one snowman with a top hat and a carrot nose, obviously. Little scarves. And then a gnome, also with a top hat and a scarf. Very cute. And some embroidery. I haven't done the embroidery yet. So the so orange what, was okay. Yeah. So I, So what I ended up doing, once I'd seen the whole thing, I decided I'm not doing orange for everything. Hers ended up being, or the sample ones, mostly ended up with like blue and orange as the color. So very wintry, but not Christmassy. And I wanted Christmassy. So I'd used red instead of, I used red and green as my main colors. I had the black and the white for the top hat and the snow. And then I just used a little bit of orange for the nose, which was fine. So I think they turned out cute. I still want to go back and do the embroidery, (laughs) but I was rushing because I decided at the last minute to try and finish them up in time for the official end of the knit along and to be entered for prizes. So I only had two days and I was not going to waste my time doing embroidery when I needed to be knitting because there was also other things to be doing, but they're really cute. I'm really glad I did them. I feel good about how I made them happen. Yeah. So it was fun and really cute. She's with the the Christmas ones. It's only a little bit of knitting every day and not, and actually not every day. I think there were 10 clues total and 24 days of emails. So sometimes you get part of a story that she's writing about the gnomes. And then I think we got three recipes this year and some coloring pages. So it's really fun low stress kind of knit along unless you know there's orange yarn and you have (laughs) really intense feelings about the orange yarn and then I made a hat for my mom the montage hat by Helen Stewart this is also a knit vent pattern might not be from this year maybe a couple years ago she had said on her gift list that she wanted a knit hat with a pom-pom to wear while she was golfing I said, obviously, that means I'm making that, because why would I not? And this was a really, really cute pattern, pretty simple, 
cables, but more making it look like waves and not full cables. The yarn I pulled out of Deep Stash. It was Three Irish Girls Springvale DK in Atlantis, which is this deep, dark blue and just absolutely gorgeous. And then I got to make a pom-pom with it, which is always super fun. And mom said she liked it. I haven't seen a photo of her wearing it yet, but hopefully that will happen. I was very excited. And DK is just such a nice, especially after doing so many things in fingering weight yarn, that one goes so much more quickly. All right. Then I started some new things. Well, okay, the first one, did I talk about my advent cowl? Yes. Okay. So we're going to pretend it's finished. I have, I believe, three rounds left out of 24. So by the time this goes live, I will have finished it. <laughs> I was hoping to finish it this morning. It did not happen. So this is Zemi's 2023 Advent Cowl by Trisha Weatherston. And she does this every year as a free pattern. And then you get the clues each day. And then at the end of it, she takes all of them down puts them back together as one pattern and releases it as a paid pattern. So I've done this for several years. This year, I decided to do it again. I did the smallest one, which is only two pattern repeats. So I think it's 160 stitches around. So it goes really quickly. The yarn I'm using is Sincere Sheep Coastal in firsts, which is a kind of bluish green or greenish blue, depending on the light. It was probably not the best yarn for this pattern, but it's going to be fine ended up being a really cool pattern. She divided it into kind of diamonds and triangles and within each there's a different textured pattern. So it looks really cool. And then there's little cables around to divide the sections and the, the yarn isn't showing off the cables terribly well, which is unfortunate, but it's nice yarn. It's going to be a cute little cowl and I really enjoyed the knitting of it. So that's all fine. And I'm also really glad I just did the small one, although it's taking much less yarn than I thought it would. So I'm still going to have, I think, another skein left of this yarn, but I'll find something else to do with it because it's really nice yarn. And then one advent project was not enough. I had ordered from Canon Hand Eyes an advent kit, uh, the Victorian Gothic advent set, which is amazing and beautiful. And I was debating, I think I talked about last time how I was debating which pattern I wanted to do. And I decided on the Adventuresome Wrap by Amba O'Brien. And so it's not quite a feather and fan pattern, but some, something similar. There's a stripe for each mini skein and in between you do smaller stripes of your main color. And the, my main color is a mustard yellow and the mini skein stripes are gothic-y purples and blues and kind of a gradient. It is amazing. The yellow does in fact look amazing because she has a great color sense and I am really enjoying the knitting of it. We have been having our family Hobbit and Lord of the Rings watch along. So I got a lot of the knitting done then. Uh, so I've got a really good start on it. So hopefully I will keep knitting on it. My one concern with it was that it, the mini skein stripes are only using up about half of what I have. So I still have like another... 10 grams of each mini skein. So I'm thinking I might do, there's a couple of sweaters that use two colors of yarn in like, a, and one of them is a gradient all the way through. So I think something like the shifty might work. So I have plans for using up the rest of the yarn, but I'm very excited about the wrap. It's going to be huge and amazing. And hopefully I will get it finished sometime. 
And then something that I have been pondering and asking for for a while is one of the weather scarves where you have a range of colors and every day, depending on how what your high temperature is, you knit a couple rows in that color. And so Simon got me a kit for Christmas. It comes with the pattern, uh, comes with instructions and all your yarn. So it's the Weather or Not K-N-O-T scarf by Scott Rohr. And the yarn is Holstgarn Coast, which is a very light fingering. And it might be wool and cotton. I forget. Anyway, it's really cool. And I get seven different colors. There's three purpley ones and then a black, a charcoal and a gray. And so I'm enjoying it. I mean, I'm on day three. <laughs> I've done three days and I'm always waiting until the afternoon. And then I go check, okay, will we hit the high temperature yet? What am I going to get to to knit? So I think that'll be fun. We'll see how I'm feeling about it in, you know, April or October when I'm trying to keep up with things and weave in all the ends. But I have two colors on there so far. And the pattern has a little texture that you do depending on if the high temperature is colder, warmer, or the same as the average high temperature mm. for the day. So there's a little little bit of interest. It's not just straight knitting. I mean, I guess you could just do straight knitting. But it was funny look, trying to figure out what colors were going to be for what range. And they give some samples. Like if you live in a place with cold, long winters and mild summers or, you know, big temperature changes, small temperature changes. And I had to even make mine l shorter ranges than the, you know, temperate examples that they gave because otherwise I was going to run out of yarn. <laughs> on some of the middle yeah. ones. So mine are about, most of them are about three degrees of separation. Wow. So like 57 to 60. Oh gosh. 61 to 63. It would be all one color here. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's why I had to make it so, yeah. so tiny. So I think my darkest color is 57 and below and my highest temperature is 72 or above. I think it's really amazingly narrow. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how it Generally, it's 65. Yeah, well, all that was year, the thing. All year long. Exactly. Well, and I was looking at the average high temperatures in January. The first half was all 58. The second half was 59. So what are you using as your thermometer? I am going on to Weather Underground. Okay. Because they have some historic information there as well. So if I need to go back. And if you... If you lose a couple days to travel or whatever, you can look it up when you come back. And... That I believe so. Okay. That is my plan. I mean, I guess I can look it up while I'm traveling and make a note. I once made a zine about my grandfather called Yesterday's Weather because he would, in his little wall calendar, jot down Ooh. the weather every single day. Every single day. I am kind of obsessed with the weather. Yeah. My <laughs> husband likes to make fun of me. I'm, I'm a little bit less obsessed with it, but I used to be pretty... Yeah. What is the weather going to be today? It's fascinating. So I'm yeah, so it's good and and I I alternated not entirely because there's only 3 grays and 3 or 4 purples, but like my my coldest is black and then my next coldest or a little more warm is a purple and then I think I went to a charcoal. So it's not because I didn't want to have like just purples and then a bunch of blacks. I wanted it to be a little more interesting. Fun, fun project so maybe Good you'll stuff. do like a monthly recap on that yeah or, yeah yeah i've gotta i've gotta think about that yeah i probably won't mention that every time because theoretically i should be always working on it right 
but we shall see. Yeah. So hopefully I will continue to do it. And then in 2023, I had to think about what year we just finished. According to Ravelry, I had 43 projects and knit 15,639 yards. That's a little bit of yarn. Which is a little bit of yarn, although... Uh, looking at my personal records, they didn't quite match, but apparently I brought in like 20,000 yards. December was not a good month uh, because I had the, the advent kit arrived and then I got the weather or not scarf kit. So I had a lot of yarn in in December that is not immediately gotten knit. I'd so. love to know the color palette that you're using throughout the year. That's a big ask, I think, but I'm just curious. I mean, I'm sure it's mostly blues. Yeah. Some pink, green. It's the cool colors, kind of. Very yeah. little orange, as you may have <laughs> Clearly. Guessed. One tiny little carrot nose. Yeah. All right. That was a lot of knitting. How about some on the easel? Or do you have some, some needles? I have no needles. Actually... I have no sewing updates, but I'll talk about sewing goals later on. So on the easel, wow, where did I leave you? I think I left you, I left off when I was managing 200 calendars. Yes, which are adorable and the envelopes are amazing. Thank you. Um, they sold out. And, of course they did. And then I had to break the news to many people who would ask that they had sold out. I'm happy about that because I don't need one single extra calendar. I'm glad that they're gone. That's always the best part of them sometimes. Then I could concentrate on some of my Christmas painting. This year, I was trying to finish that gigantic painting for my son, Nathan. I got it to a relatively showable state for Christmas Day, only because I got up at 6 a.m. Christmas morning and painted in a bear. So nothing like 11th hour acrylic painting on a 30 by 40 wood panel Christmas morning. He slept in anyway. It all worked out. He's super thrilled with it. We are collaborating a little bit on one little change that he wants me to make. And then I still want to add in a ton of other sneaky features. And I'm hoping I, I need to keep going with that. I did two other Christmas gift projects, which were much smaller, but also on wood panel. I had this idea to paint Okay, I love field guides, and I had tucked little field guides into the calendar, like actual vintage ones. And when I was talking with Daria, who is my accountability partner, she mentioned imaginary field guides, which got me thinking. So I did two imaginary field guide covers on wood panel, so it looks like an actual book. I did the spine, and then I did three sides of pages. I did a bonsai one for my husband, and I did a droid, like a Star Wars droid one for Matthew. I actually did them twice because my first round was hasty, I think is the right word. The images were fine, but I hadn't quite figured out how I was going to achieve the font. And if you look at a series of field guides, the fonts are all the same on the title, but that felt very boring to me, and I wanted it to sort of more match the theme of the of the content, or content in air quotes, because it's just a painting, there's nothing inside. 
So I worked on that a little bit, repainted both of them. The bonsai one is beautiful. I'm really happy with it. And the droid one, I think, needs like a little volume one or something like that because it only features three droids and he is obsessed with droids. So clearly we might need to do a volume two. On the spine, I do have a little publisher's imprint kind of thing, and I'm calling them Owl and Fog Press, and I have a little great horned owl peeking out over the top of it, because as I was painting these, there was an owl in the tree. Clearly, I'm a night owl, and I love the fog, so there you have it. These were very well received. They are acrylic gouache on birch panels, six by eight, and I foresee painting at least three or four more. I've ha I have an idea every single day for another one. You could do travel guides for your family for the places you've been. That's a great idea. And then have a little have them hanging up in a row. That would That's be That's a great idea. Adorable. Mm, you can I have love that, that idea for free. Thank you, Monica. So that was the lead up to Christmas, lots of painting there. And then now I'm on to my quarter one project, which I do not have clearance yet to chat about, but I'm hoping to be able to share that with everybody soon. When I look back over 2023, I saw that I painted 23 paintings for the podcast alone. One of them went into the calendar. I loved what I painted for the podcast this year, and I'm excited to keep going in that vein. I think I painted nearly 100 other paintings, either for that floral series or birds or gifts throughout the year. My art that went to group shows or galleries, that was not a slam dunk. That was not the most successful part of my year. However, I still think it's always such a good experience to show up and try and so I hope to do a little more of that this year. On the whole, it was not a huge painting year. The first half of the year, we were really, really busy. We had all of that travel. And then we had college applications and some health stuff. And I feel like I ended really strong. And I am super excited to go forth and paint in 2024. Excellent. On the table, it's been a little bit of a weird cooking season, I will say. I thought with the boy home, I'd be doing a ton of cooking, and I haven't done as much as I thought. I think because we were all on vacation, I sort of felt like being on vacation, and I was going for the low-hanging fruit. What is easiest? What do I know? In between, you know, lobster for 12, <laughs> and helping my mom with the prime rib and potatoes for Christmas Day. So big things or really little things. Did have a couple of good things, though. We had a soccer team party, and I brought a polenta lasagna with spinach and herby ricotta. Yum! Oh my gosh, so good. So naturally gluten-free, also vegetarian, but the kind of thing I think that people will eat. I believe this was a Melissa Clark recipe. It's New York Times. So instead of lasagna noodles, you use polenta strips. And I tell you, I was 100% gonna phone it in a little bit because it was right at the end of it was the last week of school, we had a bunch of soccer games, and then this party. 
and other things going on. I was like, I'll just buy the the tubes of polenta and use that, you know, cut this, cut it into rounds. It'll be fine. And then I looked at the recipe. You make the polenta, you mix in some herbs and cheese and other goodness, spread it out on a sheet pan and let it set. And then you bake it a little bit. So it's really firm and delicious and has that herby business and is nice and thin as well. So I said, all right, fine, I can do it. Polenta is not rocket science for sure. Uh, So I ended up doing that. And then you layer it with the tomato sauce and fresh spinach and you mix um, herbs into the ricotta and then you bake it. It was fantastic. So good. Yum. Yeah. Sounds Um, great. Really excited about that one. Yeah. And it was the kind of thing that you didn't have to apologize for it being vegetarian. I mean, it's lasagna. People are like, it's cheese and sauce. Like how, how bad can it be? And the answer is not at all bad. It's never bad. Delicious. So that was very exciting. I also made a rustic cauliflower and tomato gratin from the Wimpy Vegetarian, which was a little, you know, night in kind of thing. She had a a list of uh, casseroles that you could prepare in 15 minutes and then, you know, it takes a little while for them to bake, but whatever, half an hour and then you can clean up and that's always a, a good way to go. So this one, you start with cauliflower florets, some chopped shallots, mix it with paprika and then saute them, and then you mix in some baby spinach, and then you make a sauce of yogurt, silken tofu, curry powder, and cheddar cheese, and then stir in some diced tomatoes. Put the cauliflower in a pan, top it with the sauce, top that with some sliced tomatoes and breadcrumbs, bake it for a little bit, pull it out, put on some more cheddar cheese, bake it a little bit longer. So it was an interesting flavor with the tomatoes, and the curry, and the paprika, not what we would normally have, but really quite good. And it made a nice side dish for the boys because they were both home when we had this. So it was a good entree for Simon the vegetarian. And then I think I served it with chicken, probably. Some sort of meat product (laughs) was accompanying it for the children. But they, you know, seemed to like it and very simple easy. Obviously, you could change up the spices or the cheeses or, you know, whatever you wanted. And they really had everything in there with the spinach and the cheese and the tomatoes and the cauliflower. Lots of great flavors going on in there. I would say one of the big hits, unexpectedly, was from Christmas Eve. I made whipped feta with honey as part of my appetizer, kind of a charcuterie tray. This is from Dinner, A Love Story. She had, I have to check and see if it's available on her regular list of recipes. I think this might just be for paid subscribers, but I will let you know. But it was amazing. Feta cheese, cream cheese, a little bit of olive oil, a drizzle of milk, and you blend it in the food processor until it gets all whipped and light. And then you serve it with a drizzle of honey and a sprinkle of thyme leaves. Surprisingly amazing. You know, serve it with crackers. It was so good. That was the one that totally disappeared and people were talking about. So that was pretty exciting. And then finally, uh, this is one that I kind of came back to. One of my goals is to use all of my subscriptions a little more. And so Ali Slagle, one of her suggestions was gado gado, which is an Indonesian. Basically, you roast vegetables and you have a peanut sauce on it. Mirasoda in East did a version of that. And so I kind of combined the two and used the sauce from East a basic peanut sauce, but it has a lot of tamarind paste in it, which it gives it this brightness, sourness, really delicious. And so I ended up 
doing a combination of sort of vegetables that I have around. And I had purple potatoes for my produce box. I think I ended up buying broccoli and those two I put on a sheet pan together and roasted them. And then on a different sheet pan, I had some tofu that I roasted. I think that is not traditional. Most of the pictures I saw and the recipes had hard boiled eggs with it, but that would make it not vegan. So that would be why that wasn't an yeast, but tofu was great. And then I sauteed some chard and I had found some gluten-free crispy onions that like you put on the green bean casserole at Whole Foods. So I bought those because I had don't usually see those and put those on the top as well. So we had a bunch of nice flavors with the peanut sauce. Even my children went back for seconds. So that was really nice. And that was good for the that weird in-between week when you've been doing all this big eating over Christmas and then you've got New Year's coming up, more big eating there. So it was a nice veg heavy but comforting and delicious recipe. And I'm I'm excited to try and put that one back in the in the rotation. The sauce was really good. It was all about the sauce. You could do whatever vegetables you wanted. Peanut sauce is excellent. It is. And the tamarind just adds that nice little extra note. And they had it at my grocery store, which I was not expecting. So I was able to make that happen. How about you? Similar in that you're prepping for these big meals and then you want to eat normal and lighter in between, or at least we do, or at least I do. Yeah. (laughs) The kids, not so much. No real new recipes except for some flourless sea salt brownies that I got out of Skinny Taste Simple. They are done with an almond meal Mm. and egg whites, and they were awesome. A little lighter than a traditional brownie, but A-okay with me. The rest of the time was those standard recipes that we have on repeat, like the lasagna. Matthew did a lasagna party for his friends again. I talked about this last year. It apparently is a tradition now. As I said last year, making a lasagna with another person makes it half the chore. It is not even a chore. It's pretty delightful. So I taught him how to make a really standard bolognese from scratch, which is important for him to know because he is our bolognese kid. The lasagna came together beautifully and there was not much left over. For Christmas, I did beef tenderloin with horseradish Mm. sauce, scalloped potatoes, and carrots with dill dill and butter they're just gorgeous we need to compare our scalloped potato recipes at some point yeah i love my scalloped potato recipe i think i've been making it for like 11 or 12 years straight i cut the heavy cream with some chicken stock and that lightens them up just a little bit i don't think i had any left over officially that's a lot of potatoes and then In the in-between was, you know, tacos and burgers and all the stuff that the kids like to eat. I have pushed the lentils and the the curried lentil type things more into the rotation, more for me than the kids because they they want the animal protein. But I'm really loving all of the lentil and brown rice mixes. They're nothing fancy, but they're um, fiberful and really filling and warm you know, in our, in our chili, it might be 58 degrees. And then one thing that I'm super excited about, I got an empanada press for Christmas. So stay tuned. That's going to be exciting. (laughs) 
I can't wait. All right, on the nightstand, should I start with my count for 2023 or wait, save that for the end? No, let's have it now. <laughs> Goodreads says I read 190 books last year. I think it's a few less. I think maybe three or four of those are did not finish, but it's, uh, there's no good way. I haven't figured out how to make it not count those. So yeah, either way, it's a lot. It's a lot of books, people. Okay. So as you might expect, I have a lot to talk about. A couple more Christmas books. This might not be the end of them. I still have a couple sitting in my Kindle queue. I will see how I feel about it when I finally get around to reading them. I may throw them to next year. Anyway, this year I have one more romance and one more murder mystery, Christmassy. The first is Faking Christmas by Carrie Winfrey. This had a super complicated setup, so I'm going to really try and narrow it down. <laughs> so it might not entirely make sense. Laurel works at a magazine, like a local interest magazine, and she is celebrating Christmas Eve Eve with her twin sister and her sister's husband and their two adorable twin children and Laurel's boss, who thinks that the farmhouse where they are and the kids are Laurel's, not her sister's for reasons. And also there is Max, who is Laurel's brother-in-law's best friend, who Laurel cannot stand because he is super grumpy and said mean things about her sister right before the wedding. So they are trying to convince her boss that Laurel is the <laughs> farmhouse wife influencer that is actually her sister. Laurel just does the social media. And so Max is gonna, has agreed to pretend to be her husband. They think it's only for one night. No big deal. And then there's a blizzard and they're all stuck there for three days. Of course, there are shenanigans. This was adorable, super sweet without being saccharine. Definitely my kind of Christmas romance. You do have to suspend your disbelief in a lot of ways about things these people do, but it was fine. I'd, it was it was just delightful. The writing was super solid. And of course, it had a happy ending. And then Murder at Midnight by Catherine Shellman. Lily Adler is a widow who lives in London. It is 1816, I believe. And she is going to the country to spend Christmas with her in-laws. They are all going to a Christmas ball at the neighbors. And then a blizzard. They're all stuck at the house for three days. <laughs> I'm not quite sure it's what kind happened of a here. Christmas trope. Apparently. They are all awakened the next morning by the one of the maids screaming. She has found the body of one of the guests in the courtyard. So Lily has three days to solve the murder before the snow melts and everybody goes home. This one did not have quite as much Christmas as I would have liked, which is probably more historically accurate, but was still a bit of a letdown. The murder, though, was super solid. Really enjoyed it. This is, I believe, book four in the series, and it was totally fine. You could tell there was you know, past history between her and some of the other characters, but you got all caught up. She did a great job with that. Lots of good twists and turns. I very much enjoyed it. I might, you know, go back and read some of the other parts of the series. She did a good job of balancing modern sensibilities with actual <laughs> the way people would be behaving in the early 1800s. So that was good. And just overall, really well done. I know you were waiting for it. You is for Undertow by Sue Grafton. Of course, I listened to it. I know, we're so close. Oh my gosh. We're almost there. A young man comes to Kinsey and says he was reading an article in the newspaper about a kidnapping that happened in their town 15 years ago or so. The little girl was never found. The case was never resolved. And he has a sudden vision of when he was a little kid. 
at the time, playing in the woods near a neighbor's house, and he comes across two men digging a hole, and there's a bundle nearby. And he thinks this was on his birthday, which was right when all of the kidnapping stuff was happening. So he thinks he might have seen them. And will Kinsey investigate and figure out what was going on? So of course she does. And on we go with the mystery. This one, this one was pretty good. Sue Grafton has continued. She started a couple of books ago, adding in chapters that happen during the events of the past. So you get chapters that are not just Kinsey's point of view. It's people that are around and what they're doing during uh, when the kidnapping stuff was happening before and after. So that's kind of an interesting change that she's started in her series. I'm not sure that I love it, but you know, it works. I still really enjoy the Kinsey ones and I'm, I'm interested to see how this all wraps up because we're almost there. And then another audiobook, The Death I Gave Him by M.X. Liu, is a retelling of Hamlet. Ooh. Plus, I love that. Yeah. Is it good? Well, the problem I had with it is that it is also medical horror, which I was not quite expecting. It was a little graphic for me, especially since it was audio. So I couldn't skim read across the the creepy bits, I had to listen to them. But I liked the retelling and the the reimagining of it. Hamlet is Hayden? I can't remember. I'll probably just call them the names. We are in a medical laboratory in the near future. And the, the head scientist is found dead in his private lab. And all of the data on what he was working on is missing. And so the his brother kind of takes over because it's the whole laboratory is theirs, locks everything down. So now everyone is trapped in there overnight with a potential murderer. We find out that the dead guy's son has taken the data because he doesn't trust his uncle. So it's very Hamlet-like. Ophelia is there as well. There's a little bit less death than in the play. Not everyone dies. So that was good. Um, So I really like the setup. There's a lot of AI. Horatio is the AI system in the labs. So he can see everything. He and Hamlet are good buddies. So I liked the story, the way it was done. Did not like the medical horror part of it. But your mileage may vary. Continuing in the AI theme, System Collapse by Martha Wells, which is the latest in the Murderbot series. I adore this series. The first couple in the series were felt more like a like a trilogy. And now it's just because it's so great and no one wanted to see Murderbot go away. It's more, it feels more like a a murder mystery series where each one is a kind of a separate event. And there is a little bit of a through line of the story, but you can read them separately. And each one has some sort of mystery. So Murderbot is a kind of robot. They're built to be security units, uh, Humans are all over the universe. They're exploring planets, so you need security. So why not have a robot? This one has hacked his governor module, so he is governing himself, which is kind of illegal, but he is hooked up with a group of people that are okay with it. And he's starting to have emotions now, which is really weird uh, for them. And it's just delightful. He's he. I keep saying he because the reader was a man, but... Murderbot is definitely not human, does not have a gender, is thinks of themselves as an it. And that's part of the issue because it looks like a person. So people look at it and think it's going to behave like a human and it's not. It's also having an existential crisis in this book. The whole thing is delightful. So it's exciting because you've got 
adventures going on and it has to keep its humans safe, but it's also having emotions now. It's super sarcastic. It's really funny. I listen to this one. Generally, I think I like reading them better. Having the voice of the person, it didn't quite match what I thought it should sound like. So that's just a personal thing. I liked reading them better, just having my own voice in my head. But great series. And you could probably, eh, the last two books you could read on your own. Otherwise, I would probably just start at the beginning. And then So Late in the Day by Claire Keegan. She wrote Foster, which is delightful. So this one is three little stories about men and women. The first two were great. The writing in the third one was great, but it took a really dark turn that I was not expecting. And that a little bit ruined it for me. Oh, no. Depends. How you, it, it, it just, it's really dark. That last one I was not expecting. So fair warning on that. But the writing is great. It's like her other writing. It's just spare and gorgeous and all these emotions and just beautiful, beautiful stuff. And also really short, tiny, like all her, all her books, I think. She is such an essential writer. Like there are no extra words in her work. Yeah, it was beautiful. (laughs) Something that was a little bit longer, Iron Flame by Rebecca Yaros. This is the second in the romanticy. It's going to be five books. The first one was... I almost picked this up for my husband for Christmas oh, because no. the late, yeah, no. I, I know somebody waved me off, but almost, it was almost a fail. Yeah, no. Fourth Wing was the first one. Came out about a year ago. Now it's Iron Flame. It's, I don't know, all over Bookstagram. Uh, this is the second one. There's a revolution and more romance and friends and enemies switching places and dragons. The dragons are 100% the best part. I was discussing this with a friend who has also read it. Our main character is kind of whiny and annoying throughout this book. And it didn't ruin it, but it was annoying the whole time. The dragons are fantastic. Even the teenage dragon. Hilarious. So good. So much fun. We do not eat our allies. Just got to remember that. I am fine with it being a year till the next one coming out. I I will read it because it is amusing. It is light. It's, you know, it's just... Romanticy, romanticy, yeah. I think I like my genres separate, and it's it's romance like Outlander is romance, right? Right. There is they're having a romance. It's hot and heavy, but it's not really a romance because they're not happy at the end of it. So there's that. But yeah, if you like Court of Rose and Thorns, this is definitely something you should look into. One that I did love: Bookshops and Bone Dust by Travis Baldry. This is a prequel to Lattes and Legends. Cozy fantasy. I adore this. It's so sweet. This one, the first one is in a coffee shop. This one takes place in a bookstore. I mean, come on, people. Viv is an orc. So in the first one, she was had retired from being a mercenary. She opened a coffee shop. And it was she still had some adventures in there. But it's mostly about finding friends and found family. So this one is very similar, but it's a prequel. She is just starting off as a mercenary. She gets injured in what is probably her first battle and gets left behind in a little town on the seaside to recover. She starts making friends with a baker and someone is running a bookshop. And then there's an evil necromancer who is stalking them. (sighs) It's just beautiful. So it's friendship plus adventures plus books. And it's it's just adorable. And if you want a cozy fantasy, you should definitely read this. Or even if you didn't think you wanted a cozy fantasy, you should probably still read it. 
And then Second Best by David Fokinos, translated from the French by Megan Jones. This is the story of Martin, who was the runner-up in the contest. I don't know what we call it. Uh, to be Harry Potter in the movies. So he lost out to Daniel Radcliffe. And it's what happens to his life after. Uh, it's kind of bizarre, but really interesting. Sad. He It doesn't go well for him. He, he does not take it well. It's, it's, it's very interesting because all these other, what I think most of us would feel are objectively more awful things happen to him. Normal things. And yet that is what he focuses his life on. It's, it's what he sees as the main trauma in his life. Uh, it was interesting. It's, it, you know, it's not an adventure book. It's not exciting. It's not plot heavy, but a character study. And I quite liked it. It was an interesting premise for sure. And then a couple of historical fiction books about <laughs> queens in England or in Britain in the Middle Ages. Who knew? Uh, the first is Queen Hereafter by Isabel Schooler, which is, I keep wanting to say a retelling of Lady Macbeth's story, but she was an actual historical person, so it's not really a retelling, but I'm probably just going to keep referring to it as that. Grua is a Scottish, well, she's a princess. Her grandfather was the king. He was deposed. Her mother or her grandmother was a Pictish princess, so kind of the old school, and she was a druid as well. So she's got royalty on both sides. The current king has three daughters, and each of them have a son. Uh, Grua ends up growing up with the middle grandson, Macbeth, but is engaged to the oldest grandson and heir, Duncan. If you know anything about Shakespeare's Macbeth or, well, storytelling in general, quite frankly, you know things are going to go sideways. And the one thing I did not realize, this is the first book in a series, at least I assume, because it ends when she marries Macbeth. Spoiler alert. This is not my favorite of the Lady Macbeth retellings, but it was quite good. I liked the the druid part that she brought in. It was actually interesting because this was originally written as a screenplay for a TV series, which ugh, that would have been fantastic, but I guess it didn't happen. And so she made it into a book or a series of books. I didn't feel a really strong sense of place, but the characters are cool. Lady Macbeth, the actual story is really great. So much drama there. Uh, so I really enjoyed that part of it. One that I adored entirely, Menowood by Nicola Griffith. This is the follow-up to her 2016 book, Hild, which both focus on the life or the early life of St. Hilda of Whitby, who was a Northumbrian princess in the 600s in northern what would become England. And then she became an abbess and a saint and is still known. I think she's the patron saint of wisdom or learning. There are bajillion schools named after her to this day. So these two books focus on her early life. The first one is on her childhood. Her great uncle is the king of Northumbria. He may or may not have murdered her father, who was a possible rival. But she grows up as kind of a prophet for him. Um, it's at the time when Christianity is coming in. So there's the, the pagan versus the Christian struggle. Kings are always at war with each other. And so in this book, she is now an adult. <laughs> I'm putting that in quotes. She's 18. She is married, child on the way. Things are going great. She and her husband have been given land on the southern borders of the kingdom to kind of keep that area safe. 
uh, but she can sense changes coming, things happen, and she has to rebuild her whole life. It's a long book. It was, I think it's over 400 pages in the hardcover. <laughs> my, I had to read it on my phone because it wasn't, I couldn't throw it onto Kindle. It was only available in the Libby app. So it was 1200 <laughs> phone pages, which was long, but it's so gorgeous. She basically has to do all of this world building because who knows about what life in the 600s in Northern England was like. So she immerses you in that world. It puts you in there makes you care about these characters. And there's a lot of characters. She has, uh, uh, Hild has all of her, her men who work with her. She is a great warrior on her own and you're able to keep people separate. It's tough life, obviously, but lots of beauty and joy and descriptions of nature and just daily life in the world and it's just fantastic if you like wolf hall i think that really deep intense literary dive into a new historic world with a really strong central character you're just you're living in hild's brain and it's an amazing brain like the thomas cromwell character so very similar fantastic loved it monica's all lit up right now talking oh, so about good. this i was so excited i mean i've been waiting for this since 2016 so right. very excited when it showed up um, and then finally, Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride, which I listened to, which was fantastic. So he wrote Deacon King Kong, which came out a couple years ago, and I wanted to read it and never got around to it. And this one came out and I said, okay, it's on audio. And it was available immediately from my library. It did take me two turns to get through it, um, just because I had other stuff going on. So good. So it opens in the 1970s in a small town in Pennsylvania. And a body has been discovered at the bottom of a well. They're excavating the land to build condos or something. It's obviously been there for a long time. It's wearing a Jewish symbol on a necklace. And so they go talk to the one Jewish guy left in the town because they think obviously he must have had something to do with it. However, the next day, hurricane comes through, water floods, washes the body away. Everyone's too busy dealing with the hurricane and the destruction to deal with the Jewish guy. And by the time they get around to it, he is banished. And so then we go back in time to the 20s and 30s, when the neighborhood was primarily Jewish immigrants and black people that had, a lot of them had moved up from the South and were living in this neighborhood, developing a community and how, and so it kind of ends up becoming a murder mystery. It's funny, it's hard. It's sarcastic. It was all the things that I loved. The storytelling was amazing. The narrator did great voices all the way through. There's a lot going on. And it was it was just a beautiful story. And I really enjoyed it so much. That's all my books for the year. Well, not the year. The end of the year. It's a mountain. The it's final a, month. A book mountain. Yep. Well, some of them were really long and some of them were really short. So it ended up balancing out. Yeah. I think I have 84 books for the year, which that's is ton. just fine. So many. Th that's what works for me. Yeah. I've been about there for many years now. I read as things come in from the library, and I didn't read as much during Christmas because I was busy and tired, and yep. oh my gosh, so much cooking. Okay, so to finish off the year, I have... The Book of More Delights by Ross Gay. I've talked about his first book, The Book of Delights, where he chronicles 
not daily, but near daily joys, things that bring him delight. And I am so captivated by this idea that I've started to do this myself. I haven't figured out the best way to capture it yet. I don't love my phone, but unfortunately it is always with me. And so it seems easy to just keep it in a notes document and then maybe I'll transfer it into like a paper book because I love paper. We'll see. This second version, much like the first, is sort of like even in the really gritty stuff, he finds light. And I think that that is the modern existence, right? Or the human existence, maybe sort of timeless, is to, in the midst of political upheaval, is to find find the goodness. In the middle of war, find people who are going in and helping. And I don't know, I, I just appreciate his perspective on how to find the light. Then I read, this is very Christmassy, I say that with sarcasm, The Grimoire Girl by <laughs> Hilary Burton Morgan. This is, Hilary Burton Morgan was in a show called One Tree Hill, I guess. I never saw this show, so all of her references throughout the book are completely lost on me, but it doesn't matter. Um, she has decided to chronicle her everyday magic in a grimoire, which is like a book of magic that is passed down from generation to generation. And boy, do I love this idea. She talks about all the different types of witches, kitchen witches, water witches, garden witches, knitting witches, all of it. That was super charming to find myself amongst the descriptions. It is also just um, a very interesting, open-minded, bright way to look at nature and changing of the seasons and using the natural cycle of things to improve our lives. I loved it. I thought it was really interesting. Next, I read Winter's Tale by Mark Halprin. This thing was written in 1983. It's wow. very old and very old. What is wrong with me today? I mean, it is. <laughs> it was made in a, into a movie in the early aughts. So that's why it feels not 1980s, but mm -hmm. it is. This gigantic, thick book... That's 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, was sent to me by a podcast listener. Mm. This is from Marcy in New York. And Marcy goes by Mascarpone on Instagram. And she and I, although we live 3,000 miles apart, we keep in fairly regular touch. And she sent me this book like three years ago. And I finally remembered it, pulled it off the shelf and started reading it in midwinter or this time of year because I felt like, oh, it's seasonally appropriate. And it is this delightful vortex of New York City. It is a love letter to the city. It is super, if you've spent any time in Manhattan, you will appreciate the richness that the author brings to the city. The city is its own character and far and beyond the setting. You know, it is truly a living, breathing thing. This is the story of Peter Lake, whose parents have tried to immigrate to the U.S. and are turned away at Ellis Island. And so they tuck him in this little miniature boat and push him towards Manhattan. And he ends up in like in the 
reeds in Brooklyn and found and is raised by rough and ready tribe over there. And as he grows up in the city, he is very street savvy. He has like this thick Irish brogue because the people who raised him are Irish immigrants. And he develops this magical relationship with this horse, falls in love. I'm trying not to, I don't know like what, what can I not give away? He falls in love with a woman, a young woman named Beverly, whose family is super wealthy and well-connected and very New York City. Layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, this book is magical and epic and a love story and it unfolds over time and space and you have to kind of suspend your disbelief. It is big and juicy and I'm trying to think of, there was another book that I read earlier in the year that was about the the people who made the map of a place that didn't exist, are they? Oh, the cartographers? The cartographers. There's a little bit of that kind of Hmm. mysticism, I guess. I have not seen the movie. I'm really excited to follow up and watch the movie, but it was a great winter read. So thank you, Marcy. Lastly, I have The Cacophony of Bone, Circle of a Year by Carrie Nee Doherty. This is nonfiction, and it was written, it was begun just before the start of the pandemic. She is a writer and a poet, and she has gone from Northern Ireland, Derry in Northern Ireland, down towards the western coast of Ireland with her partner. They had rented a place for her to write and work, and then the pandemic set in. She spends a year... In one place, which is unlike her, I think she moves around a fair bit up until that point. She is paying attention to the cycle of life, you know, the natural life cycle of things and how it has totally changed the societal life cycle of things. And it is beautiful. It's really an interesting setup. And she talks about each month and kind of the main themes of each month and then does like a day-by-day, sort of like the Ross Gay, things that struck her or were beautiful or interesting. And through the through the lens of a pandemic, when she doesn't have societal interactions, it's birds and poetry books that she picks up and things that were sent to her. And I completely loved this. I had a really interesting coincidence between these four well, three of the four books, The Ross Gay, The Book of More Delights, The Grimoire Girl, and The Cacophony of Bone, all referred to other books constantly. And I love that because then I can build off from there and I have a monster TBR list staring me down for this year. And then there were also a lot of bird references in Doherty's book in particular. So I'm really interested to, normally I'm reading it at night and I don't look things up. I don't have a screen in there. So I'm interested to go back through and and research different birds that she was referencing and paint and sketch those. So this is something that I just started on January 1st and I'm into September I kind of wish that I had savored it a little bit, but I want people to know about it right now because it might 
strike your fancy to start it at the beginning of the year. And that is my reading. Excellent. So on the horizon, looking, well, I guess we're also looking backwards on how we did with our our previous goals, uh, and then some some things that we hope to accomplish, hopes and dreams for the future. So for On the Needles, actually, I didn't do quite as bad with my knitting goals as I was thinking I did. Well, I didn't do great, to be fair, but I'm okay with that. I wanted to do some charity knitting, some hats, and some knitted knockers, and I did both of those, so that was good. That was all at the beginning of the year. And then I wanted to do a quarterly knit from Deep Stash, and that one I did great. Got all four quarters. I had yarn from 2015. I had two yarns from 2010 and a yarn from 2009. So definitely some deep stash that is moving right along and to living its best life. Uh, I did not knit three sweaters with yarn from pre-2022 stash. I didn't actually knit that many sweaters last year at all. I knit two sweaters from 2023 yarn and one from 2022 and I had like a top with 2022 yarn and a baby sweater that was 2023 yarn. So did not go very well, but my sweater knitting was just way down in general. And then I wanted to do, I had a bunch of kits. I had a cross stitch kit and a bracelet kit and some Christmas kits that I wanted to do. And I didn't get any of them done. I did do a little embroidery at stitches. So maybe half a point there. Yeah. So those were not not the best. So I will be re-upping my my kit goal and my sweater goal as well. The sweater will be is more aspirational because as I have yarn coming in for sweat sweaters, you know, I still want to knit that. I think just maybe knitting a few more sweaters. And to be fair, I have one that I knit the entire sweater and then I'm not happy with it. So I, I have to rethink about that one. And I'm in the process of one, but that was brand new yarn as well. So it is what it is. I do still have lots of yarn hordes for sweaters, sweater hordes that I want to to move along. We'll see what happens with that. And then I have my my weather scarf that I want to keep up with. We'll see how that goes. And then also, did you send me the lobsters? Oh my gosh. Some lady is making <laughs> knit lobsters in knit sweaters and it is adorable and she will make one for you and you can just buy it from her or you can buy the kits or you can just buy the pattern. So I, I want to make some lobsters yes, please. next year. Yes, please. It will be adorable. And she, it's really cute. She's on Instagram. I'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, so you can, you can all check out the adorable ridiculousness of it all. I am so here for that. Yeah. Okay. Sewing. I had big sewing goals that, were moderately successful. If you'll recall, I planned to sew a garment every single month, which was ambitious. And I started out really strong. Like the first four months, I had three items each month. And then during our busy season of travels and things like that, the sewing fell off. And then in the fall, I found myself more mending things like hemming pants, taking things in, fixing waistbands, and no new original items. But the the fixing of the waistband feels like almost like a new item because you weren't wearing those pants. I I wasn't wearing those pants. They're much more wearable now. 
And I kind of wish that I put in a little bit of elastic because some of them are now too big. So, ugh. Anyway, my plan for the sewing is to, I mean, I would love to make something every month that doesn't feel realistic, but the two things that I want to do right this minute, this will probably change by the next, in the next month. I want to make a blazer and I want to finish that clutch that oh, I'm obsessed yeah. with still. But Did was, you start it? I started it, but I was oh. too busy to finish it during Christmas and there's some leather details on it mm. that requires like a lot of hand sewing and like clamps and I don't know. On the easel, I started the year with a big goal to do a portrait and a floral every month and to listen to interviews from authors and artists and other creative types. My goal for this year is to stop being so prescriptive about what I need to be making. One of the things that I ran into with a series that I was working on in the spring was I had too many rules for it. And then I would feel like it wasn't successful because it didn't meet the criteria that I had arbitrarily set for myself. And so right now, I'm going to follow my curiosity, which is something I often say to myself. And that lets me more organically find like the field guide series or things like that. And it feels a little bit more of an opportunity to find inspiration in daily delights and joys and birds and things that I'm reading. I am often slow to warm up to a goal in the beginning of January anyhow. And since this is the most creative and I'm, I mean, outside of family, it's a very important part of my life. And I hate to just rush into it because in the past when I've rushed into it, then I feel bad about changing things in March. So I'm going to slow roll this one and quarter one is busy anyway. And so we're going to see, we're going to see where my curiosity goes with my easel. How exciting. My table goals went a little better. I didn't have any big, huge goals. I wanted to use preserved lemon, which I did because Courtney made some for me. <laughs> that was delightful. And I also made homemade gnocchi, which was also delicious and wonderful. And yeah, those, those were my only goals. But I got them both done. So again, nothing super giant in terms of food goals. Honestly, just getting dinner on the table is an accomplishment. I think I have started acquiring several Substack subscriptions. I've, some of them have been gifted. Some of them I just bought for myself because I want to support the maker. So I want to make sure that I am using them. So I'm, I'm thinking of like a quarterly goal to make to try and use a recipe from each of my subscriptions at least once a quarter. Hopefully it'll be more. I mean, ideally, if I'm enjoying them enough to pay for them, I should be using them a lot. But we will see. I'm feeling it as kind of a check-in to make sure this is something I want to be spending my money on because I do, for the most part, have cookbooks and they have free recipes. And, you know, is this something that is worth it to me? If I'm not making stuff from them and don't feel inspired, then probably I can support someone else instead. And then I also want to get back to entertaining. We used to have people over a decent amount. And then I think COVID, we just got used to being at home and, and then we got 
sort of back into going out, um, but we haven't been having people over as much. So I would like to try and do that and do some uh, as much. I, I feel I, you know, kind of complain about entertaining at the holidays a little bit, but I do also really like feeding other people and, you know, doing kind of creative, exciting things and just having people over. So we will see if that works. That will, you know, involve having uh, the other people in my house be on board with, <laughs> with that a little bit. Uh, so we will see what happens with that. But that is, yeah, less of a goal and more of a hopes and dreams kind of idea. I like it. My goal was to cook less, right? Cook less often, do more batch cooking. I think I achieved that pretty well, especially lately with making a batch of curry or a batch mm. of lentils. And that will only get easier as our household shrinks. <laughs> My other goal from last year was temple lunches, which I think I introduced a little bit into the year. And that has been super successful, making sure that I am taking the time to prepare a proper lunch for myself that makes me feel great, that I can then go back into the studio and be clear-headed and paint throughout the afternoon. That has been a surprising delight to just sort of focus on what I want to eat. You know, when you've been thinking about feeding an entire family yep. for 20 years, it's really nice to just for that one meal, focus on myself. I think my husband very much appreciates it when he's working from home, as long as there's enough <laughs> to split. And I will continue that this year. And I'm just going to continue with healthy, balanced, low sodium. We, we need to do low sodium. So that's important to us. And then I'm going to continue to teach my kids how to cook. That's been a really fun um, surprise this year is how much Nathan took to cooking for himself. And since he's been home, he's really interested in everything that I do in the kitchen. We made a batch of meatballs the other night. I made sweet potatoes, literally cleaned them, put them in the oven, baked them. And he came in and said, what did you do to these sweet potatoes? Not rocket science, but if you never made sweet potatoes before, perhaps it is. So I, that's when I bring out my kitchen witch self and I'm teaching my kids the power of that and making them feel really confident in the kitchen feels awesome. So I will continue with that in 2024. Oh, we keep saying that like it's an actual date. <laughs> I've got to practice. We're here. Very true. So my reading goals, I had two slash three. I signed up for two Storygraph challenges. Storygraph is kind of an alternative to Goodreads. And I wanted to set myself some reading challenges, but also get to use the Storygraph. They have a couple of different options for rating books and how they present the data, which I did like. My main challenge with that is that because I read on the Kindle, it automatically gets thrown into my Goodreads if I want, and it's just super easy to then have to go and to manually enter every book into Storygraph really didn't happen. So mostly the books that are there are just the ones that I used for the challenges. So I think I only have 20 books for the past year there. I might, I'm thinking I might go back and 
do maybe my my five star books and put those in so I can see a little more data about things that I loved. Like what what were my five star books? What were the common themes? So I can look at that data. But my two challenges, one was reads the world. So they had 10 different countries. And the idea was to read a book translated from that country about the country, authors from the country. So that was really fun. I only did five out of the 10, which I'm a little sad about. I had a couple other books picked out that I didn't get to. I still want to read them because they sound like really exciting books. So we'll see what happens. I managed, I, I read books from Argentina, Trinidad and Tobago, Colombia, Nigeria, and Norway snuck in at the end there. And then the other one was a genre challenge. And I did seven of 10 of those. A couple of those were probably a little bit, you had to squint to make it work, but whatever, it's my challenge. No one is is calling me on it. Mostly, I will be honest, I, I did the, I managed to do the genre challenges that were genres that I already liked. So all the nonfiction stuff was pretty tough for me. And I think those are the ones that did not get read. But I have signed up for both of these challenges again. So I have 10 new countries, 10 new genres, and we will see what happens. I still like the idea of getting out of my comfort zone. You know, some stuff is probably just not going to happen. And that's, that's fine as well. But there are some that, that do sound interesting. And again, there's a couple books that I have left over from the challenges that I still want to read. And then my other one was reading the books from my Irish book subscription from West Portal Books. I read three of them. I think I still have two left, maybe three. Was it five or six books? So I read Foster by Claire Keegan. That was one of them. Trespasses by Louise Kennedy, which was fantastic. And Kayla by Colin Walsh. Uh, which was also great. The Bee Sting by Paul Murray, I think, is the most recent one. It is a chunky, chunky book, but I keep seeing it on best of end of year lists. So I definitely want to get to that. And the other ones um, all sound great as well. And I have signed up for that again. So once that gets started, I hope to to keep up with those. It's kind of like with my Substack subscriptions. If I'm having it come in, I want to be making use of it um, because all of the books that I did manage to read, I really, really enjoyed. So and then I also came across the Tacoma Library is having an extreme reader challenge. I love this. Oh, so that's much. the one I sent you. Yeah. So I'm not officially doing it, but I just kind of want to see what happens. So it's 50. I might do it, actually, yeah. because it's very visual. Yes, it is. And so I... it's it's a list of 50 categories of books. So some of them are the type of book or the author or what's on the cover. That What was the one that I really liked? A cake on the cover. Or there's like, like clouds on the cover. Yeah, or there's a lot like of different that. ones. And there's 50 of them. The idea, I think, is that you read at least a book a week. And if you are in the Tacoma Public Library, you can enter for cash and prizes. I mean, not cash, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you can actually register and they have a, you chart, get a gold a big, sticker, something star. like that. Yeah. yeah. But the list of categories is available with information. The author is related to a different author. It was a fun one. So there's a lot of fun stuff. You may be seeing some of them showing up in bingo this summer because they had some really cool ideas. So I don't necessarily plan to get through all 50, but it is, I, I don't know, kind of fun to see which ones I can get through. And it makes me think other libraries might have similar exactly. type inspiration. Because for me, I just sort of read what comes across my path it works for me, but it isn't very organized or very structured. I love to read. I love to get lost, but mostly in fiction, and it wouldn't kill me to branch out. Last year, I said that my pace of reading was fine, and I would actually rather read less if it meant I was painting more. And I don't know. I think it was kind of a wash. So 
Again, I say, if I'm reading less fiction because I'm painting, that's a win for me. I am my happiest, highest, best self when I'm painting on a regular basis. And if if that's what's going on, that's great. And sometimes the audiobooks work for that, work in concert with that. And I will keep looking for good audiobooks. But I'm very sensitive to the voices. That definitely affects how I'm how I'm digesting those books. So I love the idea of doing a little bit more research. I love this Tacoma Library Extreme Challenge list because then I could sort of batch pick a bunch of books, mm-hmm. let them come in, read them and be surprised and and you keep just have going. to remember why you picked them. Right. Which is so hard for me. But anyway, I'm excited for for another great year of reading. There I had like ten books last year that I totally love and I'm very analog. It's in like the back of my planner. And I think my two standouts, The Remarkably Bright Creatures mm-hmm. by Shelby Van Pelt and Shark Heart by Emily Havoc were really incredible. And then one of my favorite audiobooks was The River Enchanted by Rebecca Ross. I have a lot of other favorite favorites, but I'm hoping to find a bunch more this year. Excellent. I think that's it for now. Our next episode might be a bit delayed because I am traveling and we haven't quite figured out how we're going to manage that. So I'll it'll, probably it'll be a surprise. It'll be a surprise. I'll probably if if it is going to be delayed, I'll probably throw up something at, at, when our episode normally comes out to let you know. So if it's really short, <laughs> then you know it's delayed, but it will it will happen at some point. Not terribly delayed, but a little bit. But it's the new year, and I'm sure we're all working on being relaxed and chill. And But until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.